You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome into the latest edition of the Five Reasons Podcast. I'm Ethan Skolnick here as always with Chris Winningham. Now that you've found us, make sure you hit the subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast provider. Also, enter in Five Reasons Sports and you will get all 15 of the podcasts in our network, including Miami Heat Beat, just posted an episode here on Tuesday. Also, the latest three yards per carry, breaking down the Brian Flores hire, and all of the other staff moves that the Dolphins are in the process of making. Also, check out our new podcast. That's Chamber Pod. That is our fitness performance podcast hosted by Chris Chambers, the former Dolphin receiver, and also out for the count on boxing and MMA. We've got some big news with that particular podcast coming up in the next week. And also, if you haven't heard yet, we will have a website here in the next Uh, Three to four weeks, we're hoping, and that way you'll be able to find all of our podcasts in one place. Today, we're going to transition back from the NFL to the NBA, and we're really happy to have this particular guest. You can find him on Twitter, at Coach Thorpe. You probably uh, checked out his work at ESPN for quite a while. He's known as the godfather of player development, which is a much better title than either Chris Whittingham or I have for (laughs) ourselves. So we're happy to bring in uh, David Thorpe today to talk about some of the happenings with the Heat and around the NBA. David, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Always happy to talk uh, Miami Heat basketball. My brother uh, does a lot of the radiology work for them and uh, goes to the games and is a big Justice Winslow fan, and, uh, and I've been a Heat fan for a long time. Well, you've come to the right podcast. But before we get to Justice, because I, I feel like this is like uh, that's going to be a big part of what we do today. Uh, could you get into your background with Udonis Haslam a little bit for the Heat fans who don't know it? Oh, sure. Basically, I mean, I watched him in high school. He played for a, a really dear friend of mine, Frank Martin. Frank and I coached against each other uh, when he was with Shakey and Anthony Grant was the JV coach. Frank was a freshman coach. I was. Uh, we were Frank and I were both 23 the first summer we coached against each other at. Florida basketball camp, uh, Florida Gator basketball camp, and we just always were friendly and did a lot of camps together. And he introduced me to Udonis when he was uh, a senior at Miami High. And then I went to Florida and had coached a lot of players that played for the Gators and was a big fan of what they did and I was a big fan of what UD did. And uh, when he went undrafted, he hired an agent. He fired his agent, hired a new agent who really believed that I could help Udonis become a better player. And so that's when we we started working together that first summer after he played in France. And we worked together for a couple of years. Like a lot of guys, once they kind of make it, I don't really work with them anymore, especially when they have family and the UD did. And uh, But he's always going to be my first ever NBA client. Uh, I love that guy so much. I was there when they beat Dallas in that, in that first championship. I saw game five in person had worked out UD the night before and uh, really one of my all-time favorite players and probably one of the two smartest basketball IQ guys that, that I've ever dealt with at the NBA level and that people may not realize it because he had so many other kind of charismatic qualities. But in terms of understanding the game, 
Uh, maybe the combination of basketball IQ and toughness is the best of all time that, I've, that I'm aware of. If you take away this true superstars, uh, really a, a gift to not just basketball, but to the Miami area and someone I'll, I'll love forever. No doubt. And uh, a couple things on, on that. You know, I've always said that the, the big three Heat teams, what was most underrated about them was the level of intelligence on that roster. And, and everybody yeah. always jumps to Ray Allen and Shane Battier and Chris Bosh and obviously LeBron being able to remember you know, plays from seven years ago in the third quarter, right? <laughs> but but uh, you know, what was also underrated was some of the other guys like Udonis and Mike Miller and others who maybe not, don't get credit for their basketball intelligence, but that they had it in spades along with guys like James Jones. It just, it really was one of the most intelligent uh, teams I ever covered. And, and it's it, the connections here, they go pretty deep because I, I believe that agent was that Jason Levian that, that was working yeah. with you honest. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. I, yeah. I go way back with Jason. Also, there's a, there's yeah. a, there's a long history there. And Jason's moved on to a bunch of other things, including in, in Whittingham's space, because he's in the uh, he's right. He's in the soccer he's, he's world. He's the now. owner of uh, DC United, I believe. Yeah. So a, he, a, he's the chairman of the DC United. He's uh, he owns part of the team. He's also um, the second owner uh, of a team in Swansea, Wales, which I'm actually a minority owner as well. He owns more than I do, but he brought me in. <laughs> Unfortunately, we came, we bought in when they were a Premier League team and now they're not. We got relegated last year, and I don't, I don't like our future to ever get back in. I'm hoping, but yeah, he kind of runs both those teams. I'm afraid this is going to turn into a soccer podcast. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm going to transition off this quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm ready to talk about Graham Potter and the job that he's doing in charge of the Swans. I'm ready if you are. <laughs> no, thank you. I'd rather. Uh, that's that's an investment that I wish I could take back. Believe me. I, I got you. Uh, if you want to listen to soccer talk, you can get the Pitch Invasion podcast. It's not happening anymore on this particular pod today. All right, so let, let's transition to the reason that we have you here um, primarily. And I know you, you keep tabs on the heat. And, you know, we've got a justice better movement going on down here in South Florida. We also have a point justice movement, which was kind of started by Nikias Duncan, who's in, in our network, who's been pushing for more than a year to, for, for justice to move to the point guard position. You come at this from a developmental background. Um, first, before we kind of get into the specifics of justice, what is the most difficult thing for someone to learn when they're, when they're not a natural point guard, but they're being put in that particular position? And have you ever worked with anybody who was in that spot? Well, first of all, I, I wrote a book a couple of years ago called Basketball is Jazz. And I talk about this in the book that the – the old days of calling it a point guard really shouldn't be the case anymore. Um, I mean, not just guys like James Harden, but, but LeBron uh, as well. It's about being a primary ball handler. And uh, Nikola Jokic is a primary ball handler for the Denver Nuggets. He's seven feet tall and fat. He's not a point guard. <laughs> uh, we, we have to start just modernizing our, our nomenclature, right? So to me, Winslow can be a primary uh, guard, and he can be a primary ball handler. Uh, whether he's at the point doesn't make a whole lot of sense all the time, depending on who else you have on your team. Uh, the challenge is it, it used to be we called it a point guard or lead guard because it was that player's responsibility to quarterback for everybody else. And I, I've been coaching myself since team since 1987, and I was definitely someone that looked at what I called lead guard uh, our point guard position and we were stupid because what we what we failed to recognize is it's better to have five weaponized players than four and for too often we had at, at the most four players because sometimes the center was really more a screener a defender a rebounder 
and not someone that was weaponized. And so you may have had three, the two, three, and the four, the guys that really did your scoring. That's just stupid. Better to have five guys weaponized. And so, and so Harden is the most recent example of, of what we're talking about there, a guy that you wouldn't think is a point guard, although he's always been a brilliant passer, even in college he was. Uh, your primary ball handler should be weaponized to score at all times. It puts the most pressure on the defense imaginable. And so, so in that case, the, the challenge is, to get to your question, is when is it okay to shoot every single time when you're open and no one else touches the ball? I heard Mike D'Antoni speak recently where he said he tells his players, and you guys will laugh at this because you probably will believe it, I do, that he doesn't care if they take 73s in a game. If they use a ball screen and the defense goes under it, they should shoot it every time. He's like, and he literally said, I don't care if you shoot it 70 times. And I thought about that when Harden went one for 17 the other night. And then last night, I, one, of my, one of my students played against him, and I said, be ready. He's going to go crazy in the first half because I guarantee you that Tony told him, don't worry about those 16 misses. Get right back at it. The right read is the right read. If the defense chooses to let you shoot it, shoot it. We know the percentages are on your side. And, of course, he went for 30-something in the first half, um, which was no shock at all. Uh, so in Winslow's case, you, he's, he's a conscientious person, he seems to me. You guys know him. I don't know him. And so that's the challenge, right, is are, am I screwing things up if I shoot it every time? Uh, no one else is touching the ball. I heard Sean Marion talk one time about this where – uh, Steve Nash was being defended by the Mavericks to be a shooter, not a passer. And you all know what Steve Nash was all about. And uh, he averaged like 30-something in that series. But Rick Carlisle made a decision that we're not going to let him score 20 and get 15 assists. We're going to make him strictly be a scorer. And so he was shooting a lot more than normal. And Marion said, if Steve Nash is shooting the ball, we know it's, it's because he's supposed to be shooting the ball. Like, we don't, have, we don't ever second-guess that decision. And so you have to earn that, right? And so that's getting to justice here. He has to earn the right to take a lot more shots because that's the right read, and that takes time. And so until he, he gets that from his teammates and his coaches, he may be thinking, oh, should I shoot this even though I've taken five in a row and no one's touched the ball? Or someone else just made a couple threes, should I get them the ball even though he's, he's more open? That takes years and hundreds of games. And so I think we're seeing this now. He's only 22 where he's in a position where he can uh, uh, just comfortably make the right play, even if it's him shooting a bunch, or if the teams are trying to take that away, he becomes strictly a facilitator for a while. I wanted to ask you about a word you were using a lot there, and that was the word weaponized. How do you define that? Weaponized is the green light to make the right play, that, which includes uh, driving to score or shooting yourself, uh, as opposed to the alternative, which is not weaponized. That's the guy that is there to read the screens for someone else to get the shot. Uh, you need, to, in my opinion, you should be weaponized at all times. Uh, uh, so what I teach our players, and I, I've got a, a student today that's playing at noon, our, our time in Florida overseas in Russia. And what I teach him, he's a pass-first guy, but he's 30 years old now. He needs to be thinking score, score, score. And so what I teach is think, score, then read. My son's a primary ball handler for his varsity team. In high school as a junior, and I try to teach them the same thing, think score, but then read. Don't just think score and shoot no matter what. Think score and read what the defense is doing and then make the right play. If you think pass, and I'm talking about Ricky Rubio here as an example, Rubio always plays to pass as, a, as the true old-school Spanish lead guard. That's how they play over there a lot. Uh, and so the defense tries to take that pass away. You're not weaponized and you're forced to shoot as a secondary choice. You tend to shoot poorly or make mistakes because of it. 
So you got to be weaponized to think score, 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 and then read what's going on. Well, I, w- one thing that uh, you know has been interesting to me is about the personality dynamic uh, of some of the young Heat players, and, and specifically with Winslow. So we saw early in the year that they were leaning on Josh Richardson to kind of be their primary scorer down the stretch, to have the ball in his hands quite a bit with mixed results. Josh's numbers are up this year. Um, his assist numbers are up. I mean, there's a lot of positive there. But it has never struck me that Josh is what I would term an alpha. Um, when I've watched Winslow, particularly when you go back to the Philadelphia series last year, but at other times, he seems to have that kind of alpha thing more so than Richardson does. Is that? I mean, is that just an eye test thing on my part? Is that something that you see too? Yeah. And when when and when you're kind of coaching players, can you identify that and say, okay, this is a player who wants to be weaponized all the time? Uh, well, so there's a, there's a spectrum that you could look at, but I, I think the easiest way to look at it is through uh, in practice. Uh, if I said to you up until October 31st of this year, would you say Paul George is an alpha guy, or is he happier being like the number two? I think you and like everyone else would have said he he went to Oklahoma City to be the number two, and yet he's the best player on their team by a significant margin, and it's probably going to get I'm think maybe assuredly going to get MVP votes this year, right? So he kind of grew into that role. That goes to coaching a little bit. That goes to system, right? Strategy design, those kinds of things. Um, I think some players are more inclined to be that alpha without any environment suggesting otherwise. Uh, they just kind of do it naturally, but but you can move players into that, and we see this all the time in the league. In fact, one of the things I, it's one of the best things I think Spolster does. I think he's an elite coach, and one of the things he does is he helps players grow into whatever whatever they can do best. That also kind of mixes in the context of what the team needs. It, it's you can't just serve the the ability of one player at the expense of your team. Obviously, it's a it's a team sport, so uh, it's hard to do. It's where Guys like Popovich have been so genius, and I think Boonholster's done a great job. Is you've got to create your best players if they if they can get to that ceiling, at, not at the expense of your team. So Richardson uh, uh, may be less comfortable playing that way, but it might be the best thing for him. Uh, Winslow might be more natural at it. I, I think it helps that he was. I mean, I believe tell, I don't follow high school, but wasn't he McDonald's All American and go to Duke for a year? Yeah, yeah that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So. He's been a five-star guy. He's used to being that guy. But his, but he didn't play this way at Duke. He didn't play this way in, in high school. And so he's had to learn a little bit. He, he, may, he may be more comfortable taking the, – the, the, the best player on your team might have to take 10 shots in a row he might, and, and score. Right? He, might, he might have to go for a, a huge quarter more than a few times a season. Uh, whereas the guy a little more reticent to do that uh, is, is not going to be comfortable being that guy for long stretches. And, and that's where he's got to get what I call Royal jelly. I write about this in my book too. The, the ability of the, of the culture and the coach and the teammates to, to feed Royal jelly to a teammate to say, Hey, we need you to be this guy. If he's not, if he's kind of hesitant to do so. I want to introduce you to one of the great sponsors of the five reasons sports network. And that is Brunt insurance where you can find all of your protection under one roof. They offer home auto commercial and life insurance, and they're licensed to write insurance for the entire state of Florida. That's Pensacola all the way to the Keys. They've got multiple carriers for all the product lines. Ensure you're paying the lowest rate in your area. And I can speak to this personally because I sent Greg Brunt all of my insurance policies that I had with other companies. He came back to me. He said, well, one of them, you're doing okay, so just keep that one where it is. But I had one for a condo, and I had one for my cars. 
And he said, in both cases, I could be doing better. He saved me $700. Took one phone call, 15 minutes. I don't want to use 15 minutes because somebody else uses that. It took 14 minutes. And he got all of that stuff taken care of uh, for me. So check out bruntinsurance.com. That's bruntinsurance.com. Greg's also a proud sponsor of the Homes for Heroes program. That means if you're a first responder, teacher, military, or healthcare professional, you'll get a special discount from bruntinsurance.com. Here's the phone number if you prefer to do that, 954-589-2204. And today's episode of the Five Reasons Podcast is brought to you by Doral Toyota, which is one of our great partners and, like us, is pure South Florida. That's Doral Toyota, where you can find all your favorite Toyota models. Whether you're looking for a new, used, or certified pre-owned vehicle, Doral Toyota is located at 9775 Northwest 12th Street, just a few blocks from International and Dolphin Malls. Experience the Doral difference, which means four years complimentary maintenance and roadside assistance on all new vehicles. In-house financing is available for credit-related issues. Also, if you mention Five Reasons when you call 305-680-1129 or come in the dealership, you will work with a dedicated manager, not a salesman. Unlike other dealers, Doral Toyota prides itself on an honest and transparent buying process. That's Doral Toyota, DoralToyota.com, or stop in at 9775 Northwest 12th Street. Vamos, let's go, Doral Toyota. So uh, your specialty is player development. So I I have a couple of questions as it relates to specifically the elements of Justice Winslow's game that have improved that I felt held him back as a player for a long time. Uh, One is finishing near the rim. So there is kind of, I I always find it convenient when there's like a dividing line in a player's season when things just seem to make sense for him and he can take off from there. And in his case, it's actually pre-West Coast road trip. So they went on a five-game road trip through Phoenix and Los Angeles and Utah and Memphis. And that's when his season really took off. And prior to that, uh, within five feet, he was at 48.5% from the field, which is atrocious. And since that point, he's 63.5%, which is a full 15 percentage points better in an area that I felt like most was holding him back. We can talk about his shooting, but he is a slasher. He's a driver that gets to the rim. And really, it felt like he was going in without much of a plan to finish. And it was just sort of running in a straight line towards the rim and hoping the ball went in versus now he's finishing at an average level. How would you say a player could improve in those situations beyond experience? Well, the experience is the answer besides just, you know, okay. first you got to learn how to make sh- the shots against the air, right? But, but, but what you're saying is this, and you're right, he, he was a terrible finisher at the rim, uh, for, especially for a guy that can get there a decent amount, um, you know, above average for sure. Uh, he's not the most explosive player. He's, he, he's a good athlete. I don't think he's an elite athlete. Uh, he, he'd be closer to elite if you factor in power. But in terms of sheer athleticism, in terms of jumping, quickness, speed, all that kind of stuff, he's not a lead in the NBA. Uh, and I think you're right. I don't think he had a plan. And so what happens is, what I always say is college and high school players play the game, pros read the game. And so one thing we do, for example, in our gym is we, we don't, I don't really let them compete. They play enough games against people and drills against people, and then the chance for injuries go way up. So we do everything against the air, but we try to paint a, a clear picture of 10 guys on the court. So one thing we do frequently is we work with our ball handlers, our slashers, uh, with or without the ball, to take pictures of the court and use their eyes to move pieces around the chessboard. That's what we say. Uh, where are the shot blockers? How do you freeze the shot blockers? What, what, are, you, are you staring at their, the guy they're guarding to keep them at home a little bit more or to make them unsure of what you're going to do? If you're going to telegraph the drive three seconds before you leave, you're going to be met with a bunch of really tall athletic guys at the rim. 
if you keep them in doubt a little bit because you, you, you attack with some surprise and use your eyes to move, pe- move people around, you're going to have a better opportunity to do that. In a sense, what I'm describing is the game slows down. And that's really why, and, and yeah, supposedly I started this kind of player development thing that the whole world does now. I mean, people have always done player development. I, I just did it as a career in the 90s when no one else was really doing it. Uh, but I will tell you that, that nothing beats playing time. Nothing beats game. My, my son is a very serious player. Uh, I just I want him to go play pick up as much as he possibly can, knowing that he'll do the schoolwork on his own too in the offseason. Uh, and, and that's where you learn how to read the game. If you're mindful of that, and this is where I think Spolster does a great job, and I think Popovich, all the best coaches, are mindful of teaching the game so that you're, if, if you're only looking at uh, the guy guarding you, you're missing the bigger picture. And I, I grew up on Florida football most of my life. I don't care about football anymore, but I did for a long time. And Emmett Smith, I had just graduated when he started. And uh, as a running back, I've studied it a lot, actually, because I thought it made some sense for teaching drivers in basketball. Emmett would make a lot of moves at the line of scrimmage that didn't necessarily make sense until you watched the whole play develop and went back and watched it again and again. He, he already knew he had his guy beat. He was, he, was, he was trying to make a move to get an angle to beat the second guy for an extra few yards. It's one reason why he was probably the best not just touchdown guy, but first down guy in the history of the game. Uh, people always talk about Barry Sanders. Sanders had the quickness and speed to hit home runs. But very often, I think he led the league in, in tackles for losses. Uh, uh, Smith was just so much smarter guy with vision. And it's the same exact thing. Dwayne Wade, I promise you, was never worried about cooking when he was, when he was in his prime. He was never worried about cooking the guy guarding him. He was thinking about where the next defense was coming. And so that's what Winslow's probably gotten much better at, not to mention just better finishing off two feet or with uh, under control. But it's where you're attacking and who you're attacking and where you're uh, – not trying to shoot against people that you can't make it. Like when you're going against the Jazz, you better know Rudy Gobert is coming. And so you have to factor that in before you even start your drive. If you do what you suggested initially, which is go without a plan, well, you might beat your guy, but there's seven-foot Gobert with a seven-six wingspan waiting for you, and you're done. And you're done. So you have to read the game and think about where that help's coming from, and that factors all into your overall experience when you play. And then I feel like the, the the next thing I'm about to bring up is sort of the golden goose of NBA player development, which is helping a player get from not being a three-point shooter to being a good three-point shooter. And again, in this same stretch, uh, it went from uh, where he was around 33%, it was at 34% uh, for a period of about 20 games uh, before this recent stretch where he's now at 40%, a little over that. And it's actually from one particular spot on the floor. It's actually not a corner, which is generally where some players improve. It's above the break, particularly from the left-hand side where he's figured this out. So again, this is another one where... I think Justice Winslow it came in from college as someone who shot well in college, but that doesn't always translate. It didn't translate. I didn't think he, he could ever be a plus three-point shooter, but he has been during this run. Um, is there anything that you can point to as uh, something that has worked for him in, in technique? Or, uh, again, is it just sort of taking threes and, and feeling more confident in them? I didn't study his, te- his technique uh, in years past. I have, I have you know, watched him this year and on tape. Uh, and so he, his shot looks fluid to me. I think a lot has to do with what I was saying before. And, and what you were saying, too, is getting to where you shoot best, right? He's, he's a good corner shooter. I think he's 38 for the year now. Um, no, no, no. He's, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, yeah, he only gets 27% of his threes from – he gets 41, I'm sorry, from the corner. And um, he's pretty good from there. As he, watch what happens here when you start looking at his, his non-corner three, which 
Uh, you talked about 40%. He's 40% for the year on non-corner threes, and uh, you, which is top 20 or so percentile, top 22 percentile in the league. He'll start taking more of those, right? The, the, the great corner shooters should be taking more threes from the corner, right? Every three is not the same for every player. It counts the same, but the probability goes in is not. And so the smarter, more experienced player, and that's what we're talking about here. And by the way, he's, he's 22, right? He'd be a, am I right? He'd be a senior in college now? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. So he's still a child in many respects. Uh, uh, his game can get much better. So you learn to shoot from your best spots more frequently. That's one thing. And you also learn how to fake in those spots because the other team knows in their scouting report where you like to shoot from. And Dwayne Wade, of course, was an expert at that for many, many years and get people off their feet. Now you get to the free throw line. James Harden does it all the time, too. And, and Winslow doesn't even have any tricks yet. Uh, give him some time. Like, like Harden's new you know, stationary step back three is, is like freaking skyhook. It's so good. It's so hard to guard because you're, you're risk for fouling because if you want to contest him, you have to go straight at him. And now you get in his landing zone or you hit his arm. Uh, Winslow is going to gain more tricks to what he does. It'll be interesting to see what Spolstra does with him. And I think that uh, I had a player someone the other day that confidence is everything. It's, it's just so valuable to believe in yourself because this, this game is a roller coaster. You're going to have bad games. And every game is going to feature bad possessions and bad quarters and bad halves and maybe even bad three quarters. And then at one quarter, you suddenly blow up and it makes it look like a decent game. And really, no, it was just a really good quarter. Uh, you've got to deal with that. And it's hard. It's really hard. Uh, I remember, in fact, there's a great example. And I don't know that they're doing this now, but they should. Uh, Dwayne, so game five, you guys were probably there. Dwayne, uh, game five in Miami, 2-2 series tied. Uh, 2006, one of my students, longtime student, is still like my son, is Kevin, with Kevin Mon, who had just become a high-level scorer for the Kings in that, in that third year for him. Mm-hmm. And um, Dwayne Wade had 36, I want to say, in overtime to win game five. Maybe you guys know better than that, but it was 30-something. The Mavericks said, like, they were sending double teams against him. Like, they were doubling him early in the possession. Whatever they could do to get the ball out of his hands. And the energy it required to score the level he needed to score to win game five, which, of course, you know, they don't win game five. They're not going to win the series. It turns out they won game six on the road, and that was that. Uh, The energy required was incredible. And Wade had it. And so this is where the next step for Winslow is going to be. The confidence, you know, uh, Wade was not a three-point shooter. Winslow is. So the confidence to shoot that three, no matter what the defense is dictating to you, and the energy required to be weaponized all the time is really, really hard. Superstars wilt frequently at that, uh, and that's why they're just stars. Uh, we, the guys that can last and last and last are the true superstars because it's so difficult. And so we'll see if Winslow can handle it. The fact that Spolster has got experience with two guys that did it, in in uh, in Wade and LeBron, Bosch really wasn't you know quite that kind of score and and, and didn't require that much energy. I think that uh, between Dwayne and Eric, they're going to help Justice reach that because if anyone can reach on that on their current roster, it's him. So I want to get to two more Heat things here before we pivot around the league. Uh, the first one is you talked about Dwayne, and you know one of the things I noticed watching Winslow in person the other day is something that you also hit on, which is that it just appears to me that the game has slowed for him. And yeah. I just that that not only, you know, he has a plan for everything, as you said, but he seemed to have command of the offense. Uh, and it just I, I used to watch him rush quite a bit with decisions and he doesn't. And my sense of that is that Dwayne has had some influence on him in that just being around Dwayne. So 
I wanted to ask you, do you have a, that, that one about game five is great. Do you have sort of a favorite um, Dwayne moment from his career that kind of embodies the transition that Dwayne has made from being, you know, an elite, elite athlete early in his career and dunking on Barajao and dunking on O'Neal and all the other things that he did to now where it, he, I mean, I don't know that there are, you know, five players in the NBA over the past 20 years who have a better feel for the game uh, than Dwayne has had. Is there one that jumps out to you? All right, so let me say this. I, I've been, I started playing the game in 1974 when I was nine. I started, my first team I ever coached was my fraternity team, my fraternity team in college. And when I was a sophomore in 1984, Actually, it's spring of '85. Um, I've been I've been coaching since '87 at the high school level and coach pros since the '90s. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a one minute love story of Dwayne Wade. I only I only met him a few times. I actually shared a limo limousine with him and Udonis uh, following their rookie All Star appearance uh, out in LA. Uh, it was a funny story, but I love I love his game as much as maybe any player I've ever watched. Uh, and so. When he was a rookie, I watched every one of his games because of Udonis. And I, at that point, I still had been coaching a long time. Uh, and frequently, I, would, I had a scan design recliner that I used to sit in in my old house back in the 90s. And I'm, every game, I would jump out of my chair saying like, oh, wow, at an athletic place. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. That he made, typically chasing a loose ball uh, or a dunk or a shot block or a steal. His speed and quickness were extraordinary. And I, I, I grew up coaching in this state. <laughs> we have the best athletes in the world. I've coached uh, all Americans, guys that went to the Final Four and started and even back then I had, and I knew what a world-class athlete looked like. I had former players that led college in sacks uh, as linebackers, as, as blitzing linebackers. I knew what elite athletes looked like. I had never seen anything like Dwayne Wade. Uh, and then all of a sudden the oh wows from athletic plays became oh wows at finishing plays that weren't dunks. Like he, he, he his skill exploded. And uh, yes, his feel was amazing as a scorer, I, I, when I think of Dwayne Wade, I think of relentless athleticism combined with incredible skill as a finisher. That's what I think of. He was never a great distance shooter, obviously, but he was an incredible bucket getter because of what I just said. That, that you know, there are guys that are world class. Vince Carter, I'm a huge Vince Carter fan and knew him when he was a sophomore in high school at Daytona Beach Mainland. Uh, amazing athlete, right? I've seen some, some, him do some of the most amazing things an athlete could ever do, even as a high school player. But you would never say he had relentless energy as an athlete, the way he would Dwayne Wade. Uh, Wade had that, uh, but if he didn't develop the skill that, he, that was required to be the kind of uh, player that he became, 
he would just be that, this incredible dunker finisher um, at the rim. But he was more than that because he had so much skill at, at his handle and change of speed and uh, left hand, right hand and scoops and floaters and everything. Uh, that's really what makes him an all-timer to me is that combination of incredible athleticism, relentless energy, and, and then phenomenal skill as a finisher. One of the series that always jumps out to me with him is is the one that started the worst for him, which was the series in Indiana in the second round, I believe 2012, when they went down 2-1 and, and he and Spolster are yelling at each other on the sideline and Dwayne can't make anything and his knees bothering him. And then I just remember in that game four, LeBron got, it was, it was like a switch. LeBron got him a layup on in transition. And from there, for the next three and a half games, um, Dwayne pulled every trick out of the book that I'd ever seen him have for his previous, you know, what was it, eight or nine seasons at that point. And it was just amazing how he could just dig in and get it when he needed it and, and just the, the level of practice that came. And I would throw in a third thing with, with that, David. I think the, the skill, the athleticism, uh, but also, uh, you know, I, I do think the mental aspect of it and this idea that Dwayne has always felt doubted uh, and, and when he, whenever he fell down, you know, he would come back with these ridiculous performances. And I, I think those three things. One more in the heat, want to go around the league. Um, Bam Adebayo, uh, what is the upside for him? I don't know. It seems like, I just, I just it's hard to say when, when uh, you played one year and, you know, uh, even now we're trying to figure out upsides of, of tall guys that, uh, that we don't know how good they can be offensively. I don't, I don't know a lot of where I think he can be. I know this, he, he, he should be able to be an elite defensive player. Wouldn't you say? No, doubt. I would think no doubt. lateral quickness for sure. Uh, what's his wingspan? <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's long. <laughs> no, it's, yeah. Right. So, I mean, so, when, when they so have him and Derek Jones on the court together, it's yeah, it's like they, they basically envelop the entire court. The two of them. Yeah. So. Let's, let's, let's say that he can be uh, an elite defensive player. Uh, rim, rim protector with switchability. Uh, an elite rebounder. I think. I think he can be an elite rebounder. He's. He's. You know. He's relatively young. I mean, he's young. Uh, he's not a baby. He's not 19, but he's young. Uh, I, you know. I don't know. I just don't. I don't know if. If you want to evaluate a player and project him, you have to know work ethic. You have to know intelligence. I heard he's really bright. Uh, uh, I don't know how much he really wants to work on his game all the time. I just don't know. Uh, I know that athletes like him if they're willing to work their tails off. Uh, can become great, great players. And, uh, I mean, the first couple of years, Rudy Gobert was in the league, and I realize he's much taller than Bam. He wasn't any good. I mean, no one would have projected defensive player of the year. No one did project defensive player of the year. I remember when he first broke out, I watched him like in summer league and thought, oh, I actually tweeted, I think, way back then, like this guy is going to – if Team USA is ever going to lose a game, it's going to be because this guy is anchoring a team in, in France that has enough shooters and scorers and and Team USA can't get into the rim because Gobert is just so amazing in there. And I, I believe that was like his second or third summer league. So, I mean, Bam Bam has uh, – he's in the right franchise to because they need him to be great. That That's super important. Is they, 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 One of the issues the Lakers have right now is I just feel like they don't, they don't really need a lot of those young players to be great because they're going to get players through free agency or trade those guys for those players like AD or whatever. Um, he, he don't have that luxury. They're, they're, a, they're a good team. They're not great. I, I know you guys have talked on your pod before about 43 and 39 or whatever they're going to be, uh, but they're not going to be in, in a top five draft pick. They're not going to get Zion this year. They need to develop some of those guys into being great players, which 
which is possible. Kawhi Leonard was, was drafted 15th, and we know what he's done. Look what the Spurs have done with the 29th pick in Derek White, uh, who, you know, they're what top three offense in the league in the last maybe six, seven weeks, whatever, and he's been a big part of that. So they need to be great. Uh, but I, I want to get back to one other thing about Dwayne that I'll never forget because I, I just thought of it when you were talking. Um, he is – when he, when he was willing to take a secondary role for Team USA, uh, I publicly said that uh, following that, LeBron James is going to go to play with, with Dwayne Wade at Miami. I called my brother Mike, who, who uh, is a huge Winslow fan, by the way, and who uh, goes to a lot of the games because he does treat a lot of them with their MRIs, whatever. Uh, I say, go upgrade your season tickets, bro. I think LeBron's going to play with Dwayne. And I said this on, on a lot of different uh, shows and stuff back then. I had no idea about Bosch. But the reason why I thought that is because I watched LeBron in person play with Cleveland. I saw him on TV as well. And I, I could just see that he was sick of it. He was sick of playing with not just inferior players, which is fair, but inferior work ethics, inferior mindset. Uh, and yet he was not about to be second fiddle to anybody. And I thought Dwayne's willingness to do that for Team USA uh, and, and compete with incredible passion and humility as a guy that was one of the best players in the world willing to come off the bench, I just thought it made sense that they would partner up. And it's the reason why I think right now Anthony Davis and probably Durant are going to play with LeBron. He signed for multiple years for a reason. LeBron does not do anything without thinking long-term. Uh, I think he knew going to Miami, uh, he, he maybe would be able to get someone like Bosch, but he knew Dwayne would do what he did, which was allow it to be LeBron's team, even though it was, it was Wade County. Uh, and that, that is something that should not be ignored. To, to be one of the best players of all time, which Dwayne Wade is in the conversation as one of the best shooting guards of all time, it's an incredibly short list. Uh, for him to be willing to, to, to play behind LeBron in a sense says a lot about who he is and, and, and who he's always going to be remembered for, I think. We'll get back to our episode here in a second. I first want to tell you about another of the great sponsors of the Five Reasons Sports Network, and that is Berlitz Broward. You may be familiar with the Berlitz Method of teaching languages, I can speak to it directly because about a year ago, my daughter was about three and a half years old. I put her in Berlitz Broward. This is over on Flamingo Road in Pembroke Pines because we wanted her to learn Mandarin. She already knows English and Spanish fluently, but kids have an easier time learning languages at times than adults do. So we figured that she might enjoy it. Not only does she now enjoy it, she now counts up to 100. She knows all the colors and shapes. When we go to Chinese restaurants, she speaks Mandarin with the waitresses. She orders for us, sometimes not the greatest, but it's pretty amusing to actually watch it. But the other thing that Berlitz does for you is they have adult programs. And so that's actually what we want to introduce you to today. Their adult programs, they teach languages English, French, Spanish, Mandarin, Italian, German, Portuguese, and more. So if you ever wanted to learn any of those languages, or maybe English is not your first language and you want to learn how to pronounce better and be better in the business space, that's something that they can work with you on. So I'm going to give you a phone number here. Make sure that you call and mention five reasons. Here is the phone number, 954-743-0077. So again, they have kids programs, but they got plenty of adult programs. And I can tell you because we've been doing it, they will work with your schedule. Whatever works with you, in terms of when you have to work, when you've got things with your family, they will put you on the schedule and they will get you the right instructor. So again, mention five reasons, 954 743 
Hey, everybody, Seth Levitt and O.J. McDuffie of The Fish Tank here, but we're not diving in with a great story right now. Instead, we want to tell you about an incredibly fun upcoming charity event benefiting the Jason Taylor Foundation. That's right, Big Seth. Wiffle Blast. Man, I can't wait. I know you're fired up, Juice. The third annual Wiffle Blast presented by Funky Buddha Brewery and Sports Chiropractic and Natural Health Solutions will take place on Saturday, January 19th at Pine Trails Park in Parkland. Man, you guys do a great job with this event. I played last year with my son and a couple friends, and we really had a blast from the competition to the home run derby to the kids zone it was just a perfect day from start to finish do i still have time to get my team in yeah we got you juice we still have room for a few more teams as well and since the five reasons sports network is a media partner for the event the foundation is offering 100 off the cost of a team if you use they the have code. a team yeah they have a team ethan and those guys i mean there's some studs on that i can't roster. wait to play them we'll put you guys in the same division All right, that's what's up so we're gonna put five reasons and juice in the same division and if you sign up now you can be in that division as well and get a hundred dollars off the cost of a team if you use the code five reasons that's the number five reasons and the best part of it all oj is that your donation will help support children battling cancer as well as pediatric emergencies yeah you know that's what matters most absolutely it is for more information visit jasontaylorfoundation.org or call 954-424-0799 ethan get that arm warmed up and she already knows english and spanish fluently but kids have an easier time learning languages at times than adults do so we figured that she might enjoy it. Not only does she now enjoy it, she now counts up to 100. She knows all the colors and shapes. When we go to Chinese restaurants, she speaks Mandarin with the waitresses she orders for us. Sometimes not the greatest, but it's pretty amusing to actually watch it. But the other thing that Berlitz does for you is they have adult programs. And so that's actually what we want to introduce you to today. Their adult programs, they teach languages English, French, Spanish, Mandarin. I want to go around the league with you here a little bit. Uh, let's start with the Celtics because um, you mentioned guys that LeBron has played with. I, I was listening to Kyrie Irving the other night, and it's amazing to me that he's turned into LeBron uh, with some of the things that he said. Uh, he seems disgusted with his teammates, um, it, You know, not happy about it. I know he committed in the offseason to stay in Boston, but I, I never really totally believe that because you don't know how the season's going to play out Uh, what's odd to me about this is I know Brad Stevens is an excellent coach but they seem to have a lot of really good offensive pieces and the offense is not very good right now consistently what is wrong with Boston and whose fault is it right now that they're not better well so I'll take you back to the I think it was in May and anyone that follows me on Twitter will remember this because I got hammered for it but I tweeted in May I think uh, that there is going to be there I basically said should there be a discussion or I actually I predicted there is going to be discussion with Danny Ainge inside the, the, the offices uh, with uh, Mike Zarin and those guys in Boston as to trading Kyrie and Gordon. And the reason why I suggest that is because they have too much talent. And not only do they have too much talent, but Tatum and, and Brown specifically, and Rozier to a lesser degree, but, but it was still there, tasted postseason success. And what that means is they started thinking about $100 million, $80 million, pick the number. Uh, because until you have that postseason success, you really can't be thinking those big numbers. But they did. I mean, Brown averaged, I mean, 20 a game in one of their series. And Tatum was, you know, everyone talked about the lead the league in scoring one day. And Rozier was doing a great job. And, and what I, having been around a long time, what I suspected would be the case is the Celtics know this. They know that they suddenly have these young players who are going to be thinking they're going to be max guys. And, and yet, you're not going to bring them – you're not going to start them above Kyrie and Gordon when Gordon gets back healthy, at least not, not right away. And that's going to cause a problem. And so that's exactly what's happened. Uh, this is, you know, 
the fact that I, I didn't say they should trade him. I just thought they should be considered trading them. What, you know, you tell what you can get. In fact, I even suggested they trade uh, uh, Kyrie and, and Gordon, if Gordon's willing to do it, because you're a jerk of a franchise if you sign Gordon Hayward and then trade him without talking to him. But if you said, hey, where, where, where else can you go? But, you know, you see what these guys are doing here. You're injured. What, what, what can we do to make you happy? Because you're going to have to come off the bench here, and that's not going to make you happy. But I thought they should go get, like, draft picks, uh, young players that hadn't developed yet, and expiring deals. So you can afford to pay guys like Brown and Tatum. Uh, that's what I thought they should at least consider doing, if not definitely do. And, and so now they're stuck with way too much talent for what they have. It's a handful. So addition by subtraction works. That's on Danny Ainge. Uh, Stevens is doing the best he can to do accommodate. It's impossible. Brown will have great games and terrible games, and Tatum has taken a step backwards. It's, it's hard. There's, you know, the, the idea of only one basketball is, exists, but especially when some of the guys are young. Because unlike, like we talked about with Winslow, these guys are still a long way from figuring it out, and especially Tatum being a second year. And so I do think actually in time they'll figure it out even if they don't make a trade. Uh, uh, I don't know who they would trade. There, those are a lot of a lot of questions because they want to save some assets for Davis. But uh, it's it's the willingness. Uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard exploded in San Antonio years ago, and Pop was asked, "What happened? Like, how did it get to be so good offensively?" And he said, "When I when I run a play for Kawhi to score, he has learned that it's actually a play for us to score, not just for him to score. That, that there's a lot there, guys, to to unpack." And I think right now, guys like Tatum and Brown and Rogier are, are, are hearing plays being called for them to score, what it's actually for the Celtics to score. And someone like Kyrie has had, has that more figured out and Horford and those guys. And so until they grow up a little bit, which is going to take some time, they're going to have these growing pains. And if they just stick with it, they'll probably be fine. And, and even then, they still can make some trades to get whoever they can, you know, Davis or whoever they, you know, Durant or whoever they can get. Uh, longer term but if they don't do any trades they should be good enough to still be uh contend for a championship as long as those guys grow up the right way now another team that for me just has an issue with either too many guys or not enough guys and just a, a, a general chemistry issue for me is philly and i think for me the issue I, we can talk about fit and we can talk about uh jimmy butler's issues from a chemistry standpoint and i think now they've been it's been pretty clearly revealed that it's Jimmy Butler who's the problem, not Minnesota, Chicago, and Philly all at the same time. Um, but I just think they're short on NBA players, and unless they do really well in the buyout market, I don't see a route to obvious improvement for them. What, what, what do you see from Philly? Obviously, they can shorten the rotation come playoff time, but I think now for, the, for this final half of the year, I don't know if they're necessarily the team that we thought they were going to be uh, making that next step after having their first experience of the playoffs last year. Yeah, so there's a lot there, too. Uh, I, I do think there'll be players not just in the buyout market but uh i I can't break news here guys but there's some things that may be announced in any day that are isn't big news but i actually think it'll end up being really good with what they're going to do uh i think that you mentioned jimmy butler and yes you're right it it seems like he's he's got an ego issue and it's somewhat problematic but he also just got there um you know 25 games or so that that's think about miami's first year and how you guys know better than me what 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 game was it in the year one with the big three? I call them the super friends. When um when they when you could see okay, like they've kind of got it a little more figured out. What how many games was it that first year? Do you remember? Well, the first year they were they were nine and eight, and then they 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 hit a little bit of a softer patch in the schedule. But I think they won twenty out of twenty one or twenty one out of twenty two, 
um, and they started. I didn't, to I didn't really feel like they hit their stride, like the the big three. You remember until like they signed Chris Anderson in year two, like it, yeah, it, like it it, so, it took, so them, took them more than a I, year, yeah. Yeah, it takes exactly. It takes time. Whatever the number is, it's not twenty five games when you've got you know young guys like Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons who are major parts of it. Uh, you know, the fault issue is a, is a problem. I, I happen to think your assessment was right. I think they're missing real quality veteran players for a team that wants to win, uh, win the East. They've got, they've got too many young guys. I mean, Embiid is still young in terms of experience, and Simmons is very young in terms of experience. So uh, Redick, of course, is, is, a, is, a, is an exception. They've got to add veteran players that know how to play, and they're going to have to figure out uh, how to deal with the fact that no one really wants to guard Ben Simmons outside five feet and he's a primary ball handler. Uh, that's going to take some accommodation, some adjustments, some system design tweaks by, by Ben Brown, which I think he's in the middle of doing. Uh, but we're still, I mean, today is mid-January. We, we are a ways away from, you know, they got three months to get into the postseason moving in the right direction. And even then in the postseason, in fact, I remember a, a, a Miami story where uh, Udonis told me, he was calling me. We, you guys were playing the Bulls in round one in 06. And uh, I think the series was tied 2-2. And he was the, the team just hadn't gelled in the postseason. They, they had an amazing year during the year. Uh, Shaq and the guys all got along great. But they were kind of bickering in the postseason. And uh, we talked about it, whatever. And then all of a sudden, you, you, you destroy the Nets and, and you guys win the championship. But when it was 2-2 against Chicago, things weren't perfect. Uh, that was the year you had the pit in the locker room that, and that kind of gelled the guys together. The Sixers need to make progress. And if they make progress and, and then allow for them to, to, to catch fire in the postseason, they can be very dangerous because of, because of the fact they have Jimmy and, and Joel inside and, and Ben orchestrating it as long as they add some veterans, which I think they need to do. And Wilson Chandler, I think, can help. He's a veteran guy who knows how to play. Uh, I'd like to see him get a better backup. They've got to get better shooting, I think, at the point guard position, even as a backup. And I don't know if they will or not, but it's something they should be doing. Uh, but yeah, they're adding Jimmy Butler. He's not the easiest guy to play with. Uh, uh, it, it may not, it, it may not reap full dividends until next year. Just like with Paul George, we're seeing a much better Paul George this year than we did last year in Oklahoma yeah. City. Yeah, I remember two uh, two. I was there in Chicago, and Dwayne and Gary Payton were cursing at each other on the court for about you know, five or six minutes <laughs> that was, that was going on. And, and we were like, and, and I actually doomed that team when the trades were made before the year. So I was like, ah, oh, see, I was right. They're going to get bounced in the first round. And then they went on and won a championship. So shows what I know. Uh, want to get to two other uh, East teams here quickly. Kawhi in Toronto, Giannis in Milwaukee. If I was to say to you, uh, a who wins a championship first uh, of those two, uh, in those situations, and in three years, who's more likely to still be with the team they're with now? Oh man! So a complete guesswork on both. It's, I would never pick Milwaukee to win a championship. Uh, I just I, I like Bud a lot, but um, there's just so much left to be done there. Uh, and Giannis has to learn to shoot. I don't think I don't think they can win a championship when Giannis can't shoot. I really don't. I told his agent that. He's got to learn to shoot. I don't work with them or anything, but someone's got to teach that young man how to shoot the ball because in the postseason, they're going to build a wall around the rim. And that's going to be, I think it's going to cause some problems for them. Uh, maybe not in round one or anything, although it's possible. He, he, he's same as Ben Simmons. They've got to be more of a threat than what they are uh, from the perimeter, in my opinion. I don't have any idea about Kawhi and Toronto. Masai and I are, you know, longtime friends, uh, the guy that runs the, the Raptors. 
I think they've built a great culture there. I think it's a great place for him. I actually suggested that they should trade for Kawhi God, maybe just a week before they did, having no idea that they, they might have just made the most sense for me that they had a piece in DeRozan that they could move that had real value. And by the way, what an amazing job he and the Spurs have done out West. Um, I, I, I don't know Kawhi at all to know if he fits what, you know, that lifestyle. It seems like it makes some sense. But if he stays there, yeah, I think they can win a championship. I love their young players. They have an amazing play development program. Uh, their players are getting better. Their assets are building so they can move them for a, for a better fit immediately, as well as long-term play with, with those guys becoming starters or stars. And Kawhi is a great two-way player. I mean, one of the best few two-way players we have in the league uh, who's just now catching up to where he was. Uh, I really think the Spurs could have beat the Warriors two, two years ago when, when, he, when he landed on Zaza's foot and was out of the playoffs. They were blowing the Warriors out, as we know, in game one. I thought that he was, he was the one guy that I thought could take them to the promised land to beat that Golden State team. Uh, and because he can shoot, unlike Giannis and, and Ben, I think he still is. So I would give Toronto a better chance to win a championship before Milwaukee uh, if, if indeed Kawhi stays. And I just have no idea. I don't know anything about the guy. I don't know if he's going to stay or not. All right, just two more here for David Thorpe. You mentioned something earlier. We don't want to end the podcast without touching on it, uh, that we may be looking at LeBron, KD, and AD <laughs> with the Lakers, uh, which, I mean, in which case ESPN will move not just half of its headquarters to Los Angeles, but everybody um, out there. Uh, I mean, what do you think the legitimate possibility of of that is? I know you mentioned, you know, the young players that they can move. None of the young players have really distinguished themselves without LeBron here recently. So I mean, what, what would you put the percentage at that we're looking at that trifecta? I mean, three of the five best players in the league on one team. What, I mean, even the Heat didn't I mean, have it's that. Just, I'm just trying to read the TV as best I can. I, I did not think LeBron was going to leave uh, Miami, and I was wrong. Um, had they won the championship, there's no way he's leaving, in my opinion. And so I thought it was weird that you would decide to leave just because you lost a uh, playoff, but that's nonetheless, that's what he did. Uh, it worked out fine for him. Uh, maybe KD, if they win three in a row, it's tough to leave, but I think he's, I think he, I think he's, I mean, with that, that fight he had with Draymond where he said, that's why I'm leaving. Or, that's why, that's why I'm gone. He said, you could, you could read his lips. Uh, I think he's made the decision. And I, again, I look at LeBron signing a long-term deal in LA. They would have signed him to one year deal for sure, but they, but he, so he made the choice to sign for longer than that. I think it's to to show commitment to those two guys. That's just my opinion. Uh, I I think that um, KD has got his own things going on. I think it's more likely it's AD than KD. Uh, I mean, I thought I always thought Kevin Durant would go to the Knicks. I just don't think the ownership's going to change, and that's going to be an issue for him and his people. Uh, but I think Davis is gone as he should be. The Pelicans are just a bad franchise, and he's incredible, and he fits in great and. Um, uh, he's going to be the next guy after LeBron's done. So I think that's more likely than Kevin Durant, who I think it's a more fluid situation because, again, if they do win, uh, he has a chance to go for four. It, it's, I don't think it's a done deal that he would, but I think it's more likely that he would, whereas Le, I think LeBron definitely was going to say had they won. Uh, but, yeah, I think Davis, LeBron play together, and I think that it's unfortunate in one degree the Lakers have done such a bad job developing their team and their players. They just are lucky that it's the Lakers and LeBron's there, they'd be, we'd, we'd see them for, uh, for the kind of the frauds that they are. I love Magic as a player, but they're not a well-run franchise. They're just not. And their talented players aren't improving as they should, which is a, a sign of a sick franchise. There's something wrong there. Uh, but they still, if you're, if you're the Lakers, 
You offer the entire assets that you have, uh, plus KCP to make the numbers work to go get AD. And if you're the Pelican, you should do it. And then let those guys get a bunch of playing time. And you can always flip one or two of those guys for a future player. Uh, but you're going to lose Davis for nothing if you don't do it. That's why I think both teams should, should make that deal. And just to close things out here, David, obviously you have uh, the Western Conference this year. I think it's fascinating uh, with what's been going on just because, you know, LeBron, you know, gets hurt for the Lakers. and next thing you know, they're out of the playoffs uh, with one bad stretch. And that's just the way that the conference has gone this year with really 14 of the 15 teams being at the at worst competitive. Um, when you look now at, at the conference, who do you think is, is a team that can actually give Golden State a series? Because obviously, you know, being a few games above and below 500 is one thing, but actually in a playoff series when you know Golden State is putting in that full effort that they, that they might not be giving on a night-to-night basis. Who do you think at the top end can give Golden State their biggest challenge? Well, I, I, this is the first year where I might pick Golden State over the field. Uh, I, I don't have to make that p- decision now. Um, I, don't, I don't gamble anyway, but even in theory, until we see how Cousins looks, I think that they're really primed to, to, to win more than any other year. I thought Houston had a 40% chance to beat them last year going into the postseason all year long. I thought that I don't think that now with Houston, although, you know, they're doing, what they're doing because Harden is incredible. And, um, uh, they are missing some guys, I think on the wing that they could use Capella really improved this year, but, um, uh, he's out now for a little bit of time and that's going to cause them some problems. You know, I mean, the Spurs are interesting just because if they can add someone and pop, Oklahoma City is interesting because of Paul George and Russell and Steven Adams is such a monster inside, but Cousins mitigates that pretty pretty significantly. So I don't I don't like anyone being being that one guy that I think can the one team that I think can can knock them out as long as Cousins is healthy. I think they're they're prohibitive favorites more so than the last few years. It's interesting you say that considering you know again they've been up and down. Denver's been ahead of them, but I, I agree with you. I just I just don't. I don't know. I just don't see them giving it on a night-to-night basis. And I, I do think we talk about flipping a switch. They have the talent to flip the switch. I mean, I, I thought the Heat at the end of their run in year four, they didn't have that anymore because Dwayne was not Dwayne at that stage. And so they tried to flip it in the playoffs, and the Spurs were just better. But I, I just don't I don't see that with the Warriors. And the problem is that the, the teams that I do think may get there, I just think the Nuggets are not – I mean, they haven't had a prolonged playoff run yet, so it's hard to really – judge that and and uh, you know with OKC I'm just not sure about the other pieces that they have around the three that you mentioned like I, I still feel like they need another shooter they're missing Roberson I mean I you know as another perimeter defender so I, I tend to agree with that I think we're looking at Warriors uh, Raptors is is pretty clear uh, this time around um, so that's, that's what I think too yeah, yep. that's exactly what I think so follow him on Twitter at Coach Thorpe. Great stuff there. I know people are really going to enjoy all of this, but particularly the uh, the deep dive on justice, which uh, we're going to have to send you. You know, we'll have to send you a justice better T-shirt. So after we get off of this, <laughs> I'm going to get the Heat Beat guys to to flip one up to you. We've we've created a little bit of a a meme factory down here in South Florida. But David, always appreciate the time, and uh, and hopefully we can do this again sometime. Look forward to it. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you for listening to the Fire in the Podcast. Thank you so much. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. 
Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. DLM's Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.